So just come back from Christmas. This is our first one post first post Christmas meeting, and um, over this time, it's a time when people like give and receive presents, and there's lots of giving and receiving presents. And if I'm honest with you, I'm not really into presents. It's, oh, I don't really get it. Like I'm quite I'm quite good at giving presents. Like I stand by my reputation there. Claire backed me up. I'm quite good at giving presents, but like I just I don't get it. I don't get the whole present thing. If I'm honest with you, like. Like my criteria for getting something like like is it worth it and can I afford it? I don't see why that should change just because it's Christmas, you know. But like um, as you get older, one of the good things about getting older is that that you kind of you know what you like and you kind of settle into that. Um, it's a good. I can't believe I'm going to do Monty Python reference. I mean, how old are these guys now? I mean, most of you don't even know Monty Python. In fact, do you remember years ago we did like a little skit? Do you remember that? So it's a little skit, and the last line of it is, I may not know much about art, but I know what I like. So um. I know what I like, you know, and I just wonder, like, do you know what God likes? Like, do you know what he likes? Do you know what his likes and his dislikes are? Like, do you know what some of his favorite things are? And um, there's one of his favorite things I want to talk about today. One thing that God really likes that the Bible says that he likes to do, that he enjoys doing, that he takes pleasure from doing. And that is showing us mercy. Um, I did a preach a while ago and I quoted this particular uh, line. I'm going to expand on it now and look at more detail at the whole passage, which is this line that says, God delights in showing mercy. That's one of his favorite things. That's something he likes to do, is to show people mercy, <coughs> just to forgive people. And, um, and we're going to look at this a bit more detail. So if you want to read it, it's going to come up here as well, hopefully. It's in the book of Micah, and we're going to look at verse 18 to 20. It's the book of Micah, 18 to 20. My version here is slightly different to that one. I'm going to read this one. It says, like, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? That's the people of Israel at the time. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight in showing mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. God delights in showing mercy. Did you know that? Did you know that God really enjoys showing us mercy? And we don't always... We don't always, I feel like we don't always embrace that. We don't really always fully, really embrace the fact that God loves to show us mercy. And I think we can't, if you find it hard to get our head around that. And I think sometimes the reason that we find it hard to get our head around that is that for us, forgiveness like, isn't necessarily something that we delight in. For us, forgiveness is painful. So if forgiveness is painful for us, how come God can delight in it? And sometimes we put our experiences on God. And... Um, if you think about any teaching like we have on forgiveness, when you have teaching on forgiveness, the teaching that we have is that forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is painful. Forgiveness isn't fair. Forgiveness is something that you have to do over and over and over again. And it hurts each time. Now, if you've had to forgive someone and you really didn't want to, you have to put down your rights. It's like if you're forgiving someone, it's because they've done something bad to you. Yeah, like forgiveness is not a nice situation to be in. If you've already been offended, you've already been hurt, you've already been wronged against. And now I have to go and forgive them. Why should I have to forgive you? I don't know. Is that just me? <laughs> or are you just trying to avoid eye contact? Yeah. Um, and then, like, there's this bit in the book of uh, Matthew 22, where Jesus teaches about forgiveness, and one of his disciples said to him, like, like, do we have to give, forgive people, like, seven times? Seven being, like, this number of completeness. 
I want to go into detail there, but like culturally, there's a number of completeness. And he goes, no, you have to forgive them like seven times, 70 times. And if we want to maybe put that, like those seem like really random. Do you ever think those just seem like really random numbers to pick? Like you have to forgive them like 11 times. And Jesus is like, no, 11 times. Anyway, um, like... I guess if we picked my numbers that make more sense, it's like someone like saying, like, do I have to give people like 10 times? And Jesus is like, no, like 10 times, a thousand times. Like what? Like just loads of times to keep on forgiving. And it's hard to forgive people. Like, is it just me? Yeah, like it is hard, isn't it? It's hard to forgive people. And you know, the worst thing about forgiveness is like you forgive someone for doing something and then like five minutes later, you have to forgive them all over again for the same thing because you've just got offended all over again. And um, we have to keep on forgiving. And for us, forgiveness is costly and it's painful. So like, like I like the outcome of it. But I wouldn't say I necessarily like delight in forgiveness. Like I was like, oh, I get to forgive someone. Like I don't really like delight in it. Like because it's 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 not fair and it's difficult. I'm like the outcome's great, but I wouldn't necessarily say I delight in it. So how come God is able to delight in mercy? Okay, right. We're going to come back to presents because presents are nice. Let's think about. It. I, I didn't really. Or I can't. I, do, I can't. Kind of meant it. I don't know. Right. Presents are nice, yeah. But when you get a present, like there's a cost involved in getting the present. Like it costs you something, yeah. Maybe it costs you money, or time, or effort, or thought. There's a cost involved when you get a gift, yeah. But the cost, the cost is all in advance. When you give the gift to somebody, it doesn't cost you anything in the moment that you give the gift. Why not? Because you've already paid for it. You've already got the the effort all goes in in advance. Yeah? All the effort is is beforehand. I've already gone out and I've bought the gift. I've put effort into thinking about it and making it look nice and getting it ready and preparing it and paying for it. And now when I give the gift or when you receive the gift, in that moment... All there is is just a mutual joy of giving and receiving a gift because the cost doesn't happen in the moment of giving and receiving. The cost has already happened. The gift has already been paid for. So when I buy, when I give someone a gift, I've already bought it. And uh, and also, it, you don't have to keep on paying for it every time. Yeah, if someone gives me a jumper. Like, I like jumpers. I did get a jumper. When I put on that jumper this year, like, I don't have to pay for it every time I put it on. It's already been bought for me. Yeah? It's already been paid for. And the person who got it for me, they don't have to keep on paying for it every time I use it. It's a gift that was bought for me, and now I can use it whenever I want to. And all there is is just the mutual joy of, hey, someone got me this gift of, hey, I get to give them the gift. It's just the mutual joy of giving and receiving this gift. And I think... With this context, we talk about mercy with God. I think it's the same. You see, it's already been paid for. God's mercy for us has already been paid for. God has already paid for this gift. He's paid for it in full. When Jesus died for us on the cross, he paid in full for all the mercy and forgiveness he'd ever need to show us. It's already been paid for. So in the moment... Of giving and receiving that, all there is is just a mutual joy of him showering this gift upon us. So read, so read a few verses. Remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, one of the last things he said, it is finished, it's done, it's paid for. I have paid for this in full. He's paid in full for the cost of our sins. I'm going to read a few verses from the book of Hebrews that just illustrate how certain we can be of this fact that it's been paid for in full because it's repeated again and again. I'm just going to read these relatively quickly. 
But I just want to read several just to illustrate to you the fact that this is, this is a key concept. We need to get our head round. All right, here we go. So I'm look, looking in the book of Hebrews. I'm looking in uh, chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 27. It says, he has no need, this is Jesus, has no need like those high priests, that is people in the Old Testament, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and those for the people. He doesn't need to offer a sacrifice for his sins anyway. Since he did this once for all, when he offered himself, when he offered up himself, he did that. He doesn't need to do it every day because he did it once for all. Let's look at another one. Chapter 9, 27 to 28. This is what it says. Nor was it to offer himself, that's Jesus repeatedly, as the high priest entered the holy places every year with the blood not of his own, that's of animals, For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered, how many times? Once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. And here's another one, chapter 10, this is the last one, chapter 10, 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has been he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. How many times did Jesus have to make an offering of his own self? Once. And how, good, how much was that good for? For all time, for all people, to make them completely perfect forever. All people, all time, completely perfect, one sacrifice. It's been paid for. It's been done in advance. It's been paid for. You know, and why was this necessary? Why did he need to do this? God made the world good. Yeah, God made the world good. We made it bad. We chose to rebel against God. There's a consequence for that. The consequence was because God is a God of justice. He can't overlook wrongdoing. We did wrong things both collectively as people and as individuals. We all know that we've done things that we shouldn't have done. And there's a consequence to that. God is a God of justice and there must be justice in the world. He wouldn't be a God of justice if he ignored wrongdoing, if he ignored suffering, if he ignored the wrong that we commit to one another. And he couldn't overlook it. He couldn't ignore it. He wouldn't be a God of love and he wouldn't be a God of justice if he did that. But the consequence for us is really bad. Because we have to experience, when we die, we're judged for what we do. And we have to experience judgment from God for what we've done. But God so loved us, he couldn't give up justice because he's a God of justice. But he couldn't bear to see us experience the consequences of our own wrong decisions, of our own rebellion against him, of our own wrong going. So here's was God's crazy plan. This is his plan. I will ensure justice is done and I'll keep loving my creation. But I will take on myself the punishment that they deserved. That's God's crazy plan, that he would ensure justice is done by taking the punishment himself and he would show us unending love by taking the punishment on himself. So that's why he had to do that. And he did it once and it was good enough for all people for all time. And like we don't want to overlook the cost. That's a, it's good to think about that. But right now, what I want you to focus on is this. When you ask God to show you mercy and forgiveness, it doesn't cost him in that moment, because he's already fully paid off your debt. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. I don't like crucifixes. 
You know, the little thing with the cross. With the, because he isn't on the cross anymore. He isn't there. He's in heaven, sat at the right hand of God with power and authority. And he's sending us the Holy Spirit. He's filling us with his love. That's where he is right now. He paid once for all time, done with. So when it says God delights in showing mercies, because it's a gift that he won for us. He's already paid the cost in full. He's not on the cross anymore. And now we just have the mutual delight and enjoyment of the giving and receiving of a gift. Yeah, At Christmas, you might have given someone a gift, you might have received a gift, or you might have done it in the past. And there's a joy in it, isn't there? There's a joy of mutual giving and sharing, of giving and receiving of gifts. But you don't pay for it on Christmas Day, you pay for it beforehand. The cost is not there and then. <clears throat> and it's the same with God. He's already paid. So when we say, God, will you forgive me? He goes, yeah, of course I will. It's a gift that I've been longing to give you. There's a longing to give you this gift. It says that God is longing for everyone to be saved and to know this truth. You know, in the start of the new year, we often talk about having like a new start and resolving to deal with things in our lives. Like, but aren't we so cynical already? We're so cynical. Like, you know, if someone tells you, oh, I'm going to do this, I've got a resolution this year. Like, like, honestly, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> like honestly, like oh, that's really good for you inside. Yeah, let's see how long this lasts, you know. Or if you start like I have a teacher, like already, like the kids in school, like we'll talk about sometimes like New Year's resolutions, and already they're so cynical. They're like, what's the point? It's just like a New Year. It's just like nothing's really changed. And they obviously all talk like that. That's just me being a, being a teacher, right? And um, and we like we have these resolutions, but like we're so cynical. And why? Because because we've tried it before, and we know what we're like. Like Tom said, the gym is oh so packed at the start of January, you know. But let's look at this passage. What does it say? It says, "You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl them into the depths of the sea." Doesn't that sound like a fresh start? Doesn't that sound to you like a fresh start, having your mistakes and your wrongdoings and, your, and the things that you've done wrong, having them tread underfoot, trampled on? I'm going to trample on all your mistakes and I'm going to throw them into the sea. Doesn't that sound like a fresh start? Doesn't that sound like a fresh start? It sounds like a fresh start. I would love that to happen. Like, by the way, like would, like it has, speaking very poorly. Like, I, I have done the whole Christian thing. Yeah? Um, <coughs> or like would... Whatever. Okay. Um, I was talking to an English. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to an English teacher about the perfect to the input, like the would have I have ongoing past or whatever. Okay. Um, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Having your mistakes, having your wrongdoings trampled underfoot by God, and having them hurled into the depths of the sea. That sounds like a fresh start. Yeah. That sounds like a fresh start. And the thing is, you don't need to wait until January the 1st to get it. You know, every day, every moment of every day, it's right there. But, you know, fresh starts are so hard. And we're so cynical. Like, um, <coughs> I went to, the funny thing about having a fresh have you ever done this? Have you ever, like, gone somewhere completely new and had a totally fresh start? Have you ever, like, what happened? So I went to three different schools growing up. And at each time, the school I went to, I didn't know anyone. Obviously, the first one, I didn't. Why did I say that? Anyway, I didn't know anyone. Like from the previous one, there was no one else that I knew there when I went there. Does that make sense? 
And so you're like, oh, I could start all over again. I could like be whoever I want to be because no one knows. And um, like up until from like leaving school to 24, like I went to university three times. Oops. Um, I had like four jobs. I lived in like four different towns, different churches. Like each time, like nobody else, each time I did that move, like I didn't take anyone with me, if you know what I mean. Like, like I went there and there wasn't anyone else that I knew there. So I could have like just been whoever I want to be. I could have a fresh start every time. There's a couple of phrases that I love. You know the French one? Um, I won't try and say it in French. You know, the, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And there's a title of a book. I didn't, I researched this, I just found out the title of a book. I really like this. It says, um, wherever I go, wherever you go, there you are. How about that one? Wherever you go, there you are. Taking your baggage with you. And um, <coughs> so every time like I had a change, Ended up just being the same person, you know? <laughs> and um, I've been a teacher for, I think it's about 13 years. Probably should better work that out. But um, And what's funny is um, like the feedback I get is the same from when I first started teacher training to now, like when we have this observation, someone gives you the feedback. Like, it's the same. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Like, my strengths and weaknesses, they like, haven't changed. But why would they have done? Like, okay, you're giving me the same feedback I get every year. Like, this is what you're good at. This is what you need to work on. Okay, I, is that a good thing? I don't know. At least I'm consistent. Um, <coughs> I just imagine that everything's got better. Yeah? Anyway. Um, but what if you really could start again? What if you really could have a fresh start? You will tread our sins underfoot. And hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Doesn't that sound like a fresh start? God is taking your mistakes and your failures and treading them underfoot and hurling them into the depths of the sea. That doesn't mean there won't be a consequence to our actions. Bob was very clear about that. If you've committed a crime, you need to answer to justice. And if you've hurt somebody, God doesn't magically make all your wrongdoings disappear. I mean, does any magic. But... um. But in God's eyes, we're put right and we're set free from the power of it. It says in Romans 6, 14 that that sin is not our master because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Grace is what we live in. You know, and this offer is here, not just once a year, but in every moment. So like if it's there all the time, why do we find it so hard to take hold of? Why do we find it so hard to have a fresh start? Why are we so cynical? When someone says, oh, I've got a New Year's resolution, well done for you. Um, I'm going to look at three things that I, and, and a response, maybe like a biblical response to those, that one might help you to move on. I'm going to look at three things that I think hold us back from embracing the new start that God has to offer us. Shame, doubt, and fear. Okay, I'm going to look at those three things. Shame, doubt, and fear. Do them in that order. All right, the first one is shame. Right, and for me, this is the biggest one. This is this is the biggest one for me personally. Just being honest, here, of these three, I think this is what holds me back the most: shame. And um, with regard to like shame and guilt and how we should feel about those things, there's such a wide variety of like worldviews, views that people have about this, like religions and philosophies across the world. Like like you will get some which just pile on the guilt. Yeah, just pile on the guilt. And we just you can just spend your time just feeling really guilty about yourself all the time. There's some religions and worldviews that do this. And there's other ones that just say, so long as you think you're a good person, that's okay. Like, 
<coughs> it's the exact opposite direction. As long as you think you're doing all right, then you're probably doing all right, yeah? Which is pretty cool, because then I get to just think that I'm okay, and then I'm okay. And there's, and there's such an extreme of views about how we should feel about the mistakes that we make. As Christians, we live in, it's quite difficult because sin is really real and there's really serious consequences and we should take it really seriously. But God has completely set us free because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's really hard to hold those two things in tension, that sin is really serious, but we're completely free from its power and its effect. And we can get pulled in one of these two directions. We can either really focus on how bad it is and just get led down the guilt and shame route. Or we can just think, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. God set me free. And we can be all blasé and like, yeah, whatever about it. Okay. And both those things are not healthy. I just want to focus on the guilt and shame one right now. Because sometimes how we react to sin sometimes has a bigger impact on our lives than what we did in the first place. You know, I don't want to under, I don't want to discredit the importance of it. The Bible says, you know, the pure in heart will see God. And I don't want to undermine its importance, but sometimes we don't move on from it when God is ready to move on. God is ready to delight in showing us mercy, but we just can't move on from the guilt and shame and that we feel. And we can't move on from foot to fully enjoy what God has to offer. And Paul talks about this in Romans is eight, I think, or seven. He talks about the very thing I want to do, like I don't end up doing, and then the thing that I do want to do, I don't do. And there's this conflict we have within us. Okay, so what is the solution? <coughs> What's the solution to being overwhelmed with shame and guilt from what we've done? Well, I'm going to look in Hebrews again. This time, chapter four. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Hebrews chapter four. So it's kind of before what I just read, but it's. Kind of a response to it as well, because he kind of says the same thing once already. So he says, um, four, 16, so four, I'm reading Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Therefore, what's the, what do we do? Let us, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Therefore, so how should we act? Therefore, since Jesus, what do we do? Come with confidence before his throne of grace. Why do we come with confidence? Because of Jesus. This is what we are biblically, this is what we're commanded to do. To go to God with confidence. Why? Because of Jesus. Therefore, since Jesus, go with confidence before the throne of grace. Do you know you're commanded to be confident in his presence because of what Jesus has done for you? You know, and when it's going well and like the sun is shining and the birds are singing and we're like skipping along, it's like really easy and we're having a good time. Like there's nothing, I don't really feel bad about having a good time and God wants to bless you. But there's this temptation sometimes to forget how much we need God. 
you know. But actually, when we feel far from him, so we haven't talked to God in like a week or a month or a year or like whatever, we haven't prayed, you haven't read the Bible, you're not honoring him with your money or you did something you regret, like that's precisely the time that you should go to him with confidence. Yeah. Why? Like when you don't feel like it, because it shows that your confidence isn't based on you and your feelings and what you've done, but it's based entirely upon Jesus. Did you know that if you don't go to God confidently, that's pride? Did you know that's pride? Because it says that what I have done and how I feel is more important than Jesus and what he's done for me. <laughs> so if you're not confident in God's presence, you need to repent of pride and be confident. Because you're putting yourself and your feelings of inadequacy more important than the price that Jesus has paid for you and what he's done in your life. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians, it says there's this thing, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow brings death. Oh, I'm feeling really sorry for myself. But godly sorrow brings, repent- it brings salvation and repentance into connection with God. I've done it wrong. I want to run to him. And I have this thing with, so I've got three little children. Well, they're not quite so little now, six, seven, and ten. And um, when they're like really little, still do this a bit, like we'd sit on the stairs and, and we'd go and tell them off. And they're like really upset because they're getting told off, but they just want to hug us at the same time because they're upset. They're upset because they're being told off. They're upset because I'm telling them off, but they still want to hug me because I'm upset. So I want to hug daddy, don't I, obviously. But he's telling me off. It's like, that's where they run. They just want to run to us when they're upset, you know? And this is my logic. This is how I've reasoned this. It's like, I've messed up. I've done something I shouldn't have done. I feel bad about it. Why should I keep on messing up by refusing to go back to God with confidence in his power to redeem me? So if you're feeling shame or guilt, the biblical response is to walk confidently up to God and say, God, I need your grace and your mercy right now. Thank you that you've died for me. Thank you that you've forgiven me. Thank you that you're good to me. Okay, next one, doubt. So that's saying this is doubt. Sometimes we can doubt that God really wants, does he really want to do that? Like, is he really that loving? Is he really that good? It's my own fault that I got here. Why would God want to hurl my sins underfoot? Why would he want to trample them underfoot and hurl them into the sea? like well this is what the bible says not only will he do that not only does he want to do that but he delights in doing it god delights in showing you mercy well you know like i delight in ice cream i don't know why i picked that like it's probably not even in my top 15 like um but no i'm not i'm not don't go there don't go there Takes time, but anyway, I like, like you know the things I like, you know, like eating jagged potatoes. Oh yeah, it's so versatile. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that's what he delights. What I delight in. Do you know what he delights in? Showing you mercy. He loves it. He loves it. He's like, oh yeah, I gotta forgive them today. Like he's like on tippy toes. You know the things that God likes. And not the same as the things that we like. He literally delights in showing you mercy. Um, <clears throat> they hear, like, over the summer, I helped someone uh, with their maths. He was doing their maths exam. And um, they're like, oh, thank you. I'm like, like I, I literally, like, it's okay. Like, I really, li- I really like doing this. I really like, I like, I, I genuinely enjoy teaching people maths. It might sound weird, but, like, I genuinely enjoy that. Don't all ask me to teach you maths. I've got a limited amount of time. But, um, like, I genuinely enjoy doing that. 
And um, the things that God enjoys might be different to what you might expect. <clears throat> you know, and if you ever think that, if you ever doubt, does God really want to do this? I just want to read, you want, I want you to read this in. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed for us just before he was about to be crucified, just before he was about to leave. It's in the book of John 17. I'm just going to read a part of this, John 17. I don't really have much to say on this topic. I just want you to know God's intentions towards you. I'm just going to read parts of it. So it's John 17, verse 20. It says, he's praying for us. And these are his prayers for us. He says, um, he prays that the glory that God the Father has given him, Jesus, would be in us. And later on, in the very last line, it says, um, verse 26, it says, the love with which, so he's praying to God, this is Jesus praying to God the Father. He says, he prays for us. He says, that the love which, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, and the love which, which you have loved me may be in them. So Jesus prayed for us. This is his, this is his stated intentions towards us. That he prayed that the love that God the Father has for God the Son would be in us. And that the glory that God the Father has given Jesus would be in us. That, he, that we would experience that too. These are Jesus' stated intentions towards you. Like I said, if you do, I don't really have much to say on this topic. Except it says in Psalm 34, it says, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I would just encourage you just to taste and see that God is good, that he really means what he says. He really does have good intentions towards you. And so again, it says in Malachi 2, it says, like God's, he says, like, go on, test me in this. He's encouraging them to connect with him. He goes, test me in this. See if I don't bless you. Go on then. Like, te- like why not? Like, what you got to lose? Eh? <clears throat> you know, test him in this. He promised he would to test him. Last one I'm going to look at, fear. So shame, doubt, and fear. You know, like we get afraid, like change is scary, doesn't it? Sometimes change is scary, or is it just me again? Yeah, it's the unknown. We don't, sometimes it's easier to stay where you are, even though it hurts, because at least you know what you're going to get when you wake up in the morning, yeah? Again, is that just me? No, <laughs> okay. Like, um, and we don't want to let ourselves believe, because we've been let down so many times before. We've been let down before. So I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to step up. I don't want to step out again. I want to let my heart believe this again because I've been let down before. And I don't want to trust. Uh, what's the cure for fear? The cure for fear, the Bible tells us the cure for fear is love. 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love drives out fear. If you're afraid, then you need to know that God loves you more. You know, so fear, so love is the antidote to fear. Love in us drives out fear. Okay, hold that thought. And Romans 5, 5 says that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know that? That God pours his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Is that your daily experience with him? Do you daily experience him pouring his love into your heart? If it isn't, it could be. It can be. If you'd like it to. 
Because this, this is a stated fact in the Bible. That's what God does. He pours his love into people, into their heart, by the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to experience that, then you can. So I would encourage you to get to know the Holy Spirit better. If you're afraid. And if you don't want to move on because you're afraid of change. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is like? Do you know what it's like when you say like the Holy Spirit? What does that conjure in your mind? What kind of person is he? Let me tell you my experience. The Holy Spirit is the most kind, gentle, generous person that you will ever meet. Should I say that again? The Holy Spirit is just the most gentle, kindest, most generous person you'll ever meet. And it says in, in Galatians 5, it says about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience. Do you know why that's the fruit of the Spirit? Because that is what the Holy Spirit is like. He is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient. Doesn't that sound like someone you'd want to hang out with? <laughs> yeah? Doesn't that sound like someone you'd want to spend your time with? Doesn't that sound like someone you'd want to get to know? Someone who's just always loving and joyful and peace. Should we see if we can do them all? Peaceful and patient and kind and good and gentle and faithful and fully in control of themselves. You know, and sometimes the things of the Holy Spirit can be a little bit freaky. You know, people praying in tongues, people prophesying, like, Physically, things happening, people being healed. Like, these can all be a little bit freaky. They're just the things the Holy Spirit does. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is like? Do you know him as a person? Can I tell you a funny story? Um, I think I might have said this before, but I think there's sufficiently new people for this to me to be fine to say again. Right. Um, years and years and years and years ago, before Jubilee was Jubilee, there was someone called Kerry Southey came to our church. And um, some of you will remember she was, uh, I think she's from Australia originally, but she lived in South Africa, and she was a prophet person. I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that before. Okay, I'd never, we, we get to hear people like this quite a bit now, but I'd never experienced anything like that before. And we were told, she's a prophet. Okay, I'd never met a prophet before. And so at the start of the meeting, it's a bit like this, it's smaller, and she's just praying for the church, she's just praying for us. And um, she starts then, she starts coming to one of the rows, and she just starts putting a hand on people, just like praying for them, just the start of the meeting, oh, come Holy Spirit, and all this kind of stuff. And she's got her eyes shut, and she's going down the road, and she's getting closer towards me. And I'm standing there, terrified, because I think, because she's the prophet, yeah, so God speaks to her, that God tells her stuff. So this is what I think is going to happen when she gets to me, and she puts her hands on me. She's got her eyes shut. I th- this is what I envision happening. She's going to open her eyes and go, you did what? <laughs> Genuinely, that's what I thought was going to happen because obviously, like, she's listening to God, isn't it? And, that's what, and she didn't. She just closed, kept her eyes closed and went past. I'm like, oh, God didn't tell her about all that stuff. <laughs> you know? And um, turns out what he did tell her was just how much he wanted to bless me and all the good things he was going to do because she prayed for me later on. And what he did say to her was all the good things that he wanted to do in my life and how much he wanted to bless me and encourage me and strengthen me and tell me some things which I was doing well, which no one else knew about, that I did in my room on my own and she knew about and she prayed about and she spoke to my life in the future and still things that we're seeing that she said are happening. And actually, that's what God's like. 
And so if you're afraid of moving on, if you're afraid this year of moving forward, of moving on, I would encourage you to get to know God a bit better. I'd encourage you to get to know his love a bit better. I think if we knew how kind and generous he was, we would be a bit more willing to step out. <coughs> I just want to reiterate this. The Holy Spirit is really kind. The Holy Spirit is really gentle and loving and tender and good. And if you knew him in your life, you would be less afraid. Because I know that he's really good to me and he's really kind to me. And so I'm not afraid of what's going to happen because I know that God's really good. And I'm experiencing that kindness daily. So I'm pretty much finished. Let's just quickly recap. (coughs) God delights in mercy. How does he delight in mercy? Because he's bought it for us in full. It's paid in full. When he gives you the gift of mercy, when he gives you the gift of forgiveness, it doesn't cost him anything at the time. He's already paid for it. For. So you're just free to delight in it. He's free to delight in it. It's not dying anymore. It's not on the cross anymore. And sometimes we're afraid. God wants to give us a fresh start whenever we ask for it. He's willing to trample our mistakes underfoot and throw them into the depths of the sea. Sometimes we don't do that because we might be ashamed or we might doubt or we might be afraid. If you're ashamed, you know what God says? God commands you to come to him with confidence. Because you're putting your trust in Jesus. If you doubt, I would just encourage you to know that God delights in loving you. He doesn't just do it through gritted teeth. And if you're afraid, I just want you to know that God is really kind. And he really cares about you. And that you can experience that every day if you'd like to. Alright, I'm just about to finish that. Can we, should, we just, should we just connect with God? Just want to stand up, if you can, if you're able. You know, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to make any resolutions or, or commit yourself to any course of action. Except one, I'm just going to ask you to, to ask God that, to show his love to you. Right where you are right now. Just take a minute. Just ask God. It says in that verse that he pours his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never experienced that before. Or maybe you need that again today. Why don't you just ask God right now. God, would you pour your love into my heart? Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And show me your kindness and your, your, your favor towards me that you're good towards me, that you care about me. Just ask God that right now. Let let his love for you be what defines this year. It says in that verse in the Bible that his banner over me, his declaration over me is love. And we're not going to make a show of it and maybe... You don't need to do it right now, but just in your own time, in your own place, when it's when you get a moment, just ask him. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you sit on the toilet, God, you feel me your love right now. When you're coming to work, 
Oh, you feel me in love right now. Just when you're doing your daily business. Oh, will you feel me in love right now? Don't ask him to forgive you. Thank him that he has. Thank you, God, that you've given me a fresh start today. Thank you, God, that you're renewing me today. Thank you, God, that you've taken all my mistakes, all my sins, and you've trod them underfoot. Thank you, God, that you followed them into the depth of the sea. I'm really sorry that I did that. I'm really sorry about those things I did. I want to move on. Thank you that you delight in forgiving me. Thank you that you delight in showing me mercy. So let your year this year be defined by his love for you. Not your... your (laughs) Your short-sighted attempts to change yourself. Let his love change you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen.